it is the Healthy Family Show, and I am your host, Jenny Hatch. My friend William has joined us, and I would like to invite you, William, to come up and join me in the chat. Today, we are going to be talking about the World Economic Forum, which has just concluded over in Davos, Switzerland. And William, welcome to the show. Oh, he's gone. So we wondered if we would have some technical issues around this show. And it looks like we already are. One. <laughs> I have my, my bad there. That was my, my finger hitting the wrong part of the screen. Good morning. Well, I'm, I'm How are you? There. I'm glad there's a logical explanation for why you could not come up into the speaker's queue, William. That means, that means so much that we're not being I, unduly censored, right? I stumbled. I stumbled on the way up the stairs. Anyway. And welcome yes, to Dave. It's, it's, it's wonderful to have you in the room as well. If you want to ask a question or comment, just let me know. We're going to kick it off by talking about the videos that I have linked to in the page uh, notes and also in the link. Every day I, went, I go out and find all of the best news clips, uh, tweets, GIFs, and memes, and I marry those to my favorite songs and smash it all together in a daily offering on the internet of just my take on things. And in the past, my, these videos have somewhat gone viral here and there based on the topic and what I, what I share. And interestingly enough, whenever they tend to go viral, they also tend to get censored. So I was first censored from the front page of the internet, Reddit, when my videos were going viral in 2016. The people at Reddit didn't like that. And it's not because my movies are um, profane or, um, you know, evil. It's just, I share truth bombs in my content. And so, um, Reddit canceled me. They canceled me so bad that any device I try to log in to Reddit from, from my IP address here at my house, I am blocked. So that was first Reddit. And then my YouTube channels were all kind of pulled. And I've had probably like eight of them over the years. Um, I still have my old YouTube channel, which includes a lot of cooking videos. So if you want to see my old cooking videos, there's there's that YouTube channel from like 2010 to 2012. Because uh, when I started as a blogger, my goal was to share the good news about whole foods, herbs, essential oils, and all the, the great things that lead to a happy, healthy family life. And then um, I got into the more political stuff later. And now my content is almost all political, although I do occasionally bust out a good cooking video here and there when I'm in the mood. They take a lot of time to make and edit. And so there's so many great tutorials on YouTube now that I don't feel the need to do it as much as when I started back in the day. So that, that's been my censorship story. I've been censored a lot on social media. This past year, both of my Twitter channels, one of them, 11 years old, over 100,000 tweets, it was just gone. They just took it. So I've been hopeful that with Elon back in the game that perhaps sooner than later I'll get my Twitter back. I would love to get it back. I would actually love to do 
this podcast on Twitter, on Twitter spaces, but um, it's not available to me right now. So Colin is really the only place where I can interact with other people. And I love it. I love being here. I really enjoyed when I started, it was just a couple of months after Colin became av available. Antonio, I can't even remember his last name, but he did a podcast here and I came over and listened to it. And so that was my first introduction to Colin. I immediately started a show, started banging out shows. And then I, I was doing too much. I had three different shows and I was spending all my time on it, neglecting my Substack, neglecting my blog. So I took a break for a couple months, came back, deleted all those old shows because I thought they were really bad <laughs> and um, started over. And what do you know? All these Marxists in the interim in those months had showed up and started all of their shows. And I was like, dang, what happened to Colin? Because before it was people talking about all kinds of things. And then it was just like a political chat every day, which was interesting to me. And I love those political chats. I try to participate in those as much as I can, because I love talking to people who have the opposing views to what I have. I'm a individual liberty constitutionalist conservative who loves America and has a reverence for our founding documents and the founding fathers and founding mothers of our country. And so I've had a lot to talk about with people who have, have other opposing views. And I've been so grateful for those who have welcomed me onto their shows and the, the big hearted way that they've, they've reached out to me. Um, I see you down there, Alana and Dickie and Mikasa. Welcome. It's wonderful to have you all here. If you have any comments or questions, please do not hesitate to call in. Bill and I are here to talk about what just happened at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland over the last four days, but um, I'm open to talking about anything, so free to join in. Um, yeah. Bill, just go ahead and give me your take, just, you know, the one-off on, on uh, World Economic Forum. Well, first of all, I want to say, you know, you left out a big picture here, girl. You believe in holistic health, and we get you mentioned that, holistic medicine, and not getting vaccines. Ooh, I don't know. I'm just like you there. We got that in common. And um, I want to add my little piece on that and see what you think. Um, I study the NIH Open Access Medical Journal, PubMed, and that's where I get my information. And I don't want to do a dive into it right now, but that's what I base my, uh, let's call it nutraceutical type um, protocols on. And they are uh, peer-reviewed articles in PubMed. These are peer-reviewed by physicians and healthcare professionals. Um, so you can find information there on anything you want. Anybody want to access PubMed, all you have to do is P-U-B-M-E-D keywords. Okay, and you can get in there. Um, uh, I also strongly believe that God gave us everything we needed. Uh, everything, every pharmaceutical, by the way, uh, is derived from something that is of God uh, here on planet Earth. <laughs> in other words, okay, things coming from meteorites too. That's true around the universe. That's what we're, we're all carbon-based life forms. And the bottom line is it's in the fruits of the trees, leaves, barks, um, you name it, uh, uh, fungal derivatives, bacterial derivatives, uh, snake venom, sometimes bug extracts, and that's where pharmaceuticals come from. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is we're going to hear some things at the World 
health organization, World Economic Forum is doing that are frightening uh, for people who believe in the Nuremberg Codes and their option to treat themselves the way they want. I want to say another thing because I, I, I don't want to take up much more Jenny's time other than to also say I am, my uncle had a pituitary tumor that killed him. And I ended up for four years getting brain MRIs with a pituitary tumor. And I had an integrative doctor up at Yale. His name was Dr. Aether Ali. And he was a naturopath. Yale hired him to do integrative medicine. And he was a, a professor at the University of Bridgeport, right down the road from where I live, um, naturopathic clinic. So people don't realize that Yale mainstream medicine has been using um, alternative, let's say, I even don't like that word. Let me just say holistic is a better word, I think. Um, doctors, even in at, uh, their, their I get a clinic, you know, that I was going to. And um, uh, uh, Alfred Serrell. 1920 colloids and health those a lot of our protocols are still based on that by the way um and that was the beginning of serapharmaceutical which my father sold for for over two and a half decades uh before he opened a bicycle shop and he got out of selling pharmaceuticals for uh, because of adverse events and think what well, what's called adverse events which is kind of a putting lipstick on a pig if you ask me um in other words, these are negative effects that cause health problems. And unfortunately, in this case, myocarditis, pericarditis, Gambre syndrome, and I think maybe saying that correctly, but eight pages of side effects that were withheld from all of you when you signed to get a vaccine. You did not have informed consent. How can you have informed consent when you don't even know? what the possible side effects are that they knew in the clinical trials. And there's a case right now with Brooke Jackson. You got all been who knows and calling that I study the law and I base my decisions on how I see things through that. And Brooke Jackson, that lawsuit is uh, brought by Robert Barnes, who's the constitutional defense attorney, went to Yale. He's no lightweight. And he's interviewed by the Duran, by Judge Napolitano, by many other hosts on YouTube, uh, I won't go through the whole list, just name a couple, uh, Colonel Salente, Trends Journal. And um, that case, believe it or not, Pfizer is claiming, I think it's important, Jenny, to get this out, right bang, right out of the beginning, because if you ask me what I think about the WHO World Economic Forum, what's happening today, it's based in this. There's a context to everything. And that's how I base my legal suits, the lawsuits I've filed and fought and my def affirmative defenses when I fight in court. And so the, if you study the Brooke Jackson case, Pfizer is claiming they're not responsible for a clinical trial fraud because the government knew. That's their defense. <laughs> we have invested so, our, ourselves and we have found that we did nothing wrong. 
And Pfizer is a, has, was fined for medical fraud to the tune of, I forget the exact amount, several billion, two points odd billion, Jenny, I can't remember the exact amount. There's so much to keep between your ears up there with the cobwebs and marbles, you know, when you're, by the time you're 62. You know what I mean? And, and not that I'm an old man, but trying to remember these details of this fraud and this corruption in this government and around the world on this issue alone will stagger somebody. On, on the vaccine issue alone. And so there's also many good doctors, by the way, American frontline doctors, uh, fr uh, frontline COVID critical care doctors, senior physicians who took the protocols cited in PubMed on the Open Access Medical Journal. Uh, Jenny, I, you know something? You stopped me. I, I, you had, there's so much you want to talk about, and I, I, I don't know how to answer that question without going a little deeper, but I, this is your, you know, stop, I'll stop. When you're ready for me to say more, you know, well, knock have, me on the head. Let's have a conversation. There was a Utah okay. doctor yesterday arrested because he was using saline and pretending to vaccinate the children in his practice with COVID. And uh, he, he did not do it. He gave them saline and fake uh, credentials saying they'd been vaccinated when they truly weren't. And so he is now arrested. And this is an interesting case because it's obvious he was either trying to make some money selling fake vaccine credentials or he was doing it out of conscience. He, d he couldn't in good conscience shoot up all the kids in his practice with the COVID vaccine. Did you hear about this case? Jenny, I did not. Please tell me. I, I understand why he would do that, but it's unconscionable. That, I'm sorry that they off, not that what he did, but that they authorized this vaccine with all these known side effects. By the way, in studies right now that prove, I, oh my goodness, we should talk about those studies. I think, and that they authorize this to kids now. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Don't ever apologize. Um, it's just a, an interesting um, side story to the overall big picture. So, Bill, I'm gonna ask you to, to mute yourself because I'm gonna take five, maybe 10 minutes to tell my story and then I'll bring you back in and we'll, we can chat. But I really want the downstream, I mean, in the coming months and years to hear my story first because it really provides the foundation to all of my activism. Okay. When I was born in 1968, my parents had three little boys and they were dirt poor. My dad had been teaching seminary at a local high school in Star Valley, Wyoming, full-time seminary teacher, teaching the Mormon faith to high school kids all day long for three years. Didn't make hardly any money. They didn't own a car. They were broke. And my mom never took my brothers to the doctor because they couldn't afford it. And so when they moved back to Michigan, my dad got a job working on the assembly line in downtown Detroit making cars. And uh, they had a little bit more money. So when I was born, my mom's attitude was this child is going to get everything her brothers did not get. Top pedi pediatric care, anything he recommended she was going to do. And so that was her attitude. This baby's getting first class everything because... She felt kind of kind of guilty, you know, that with my older brothers, she you know wasn't able to take them to the doctor and do all the well baby stuff. So for the first time, she took one of her children to a pediatrician. The first thing he told her was, "There's no way 
you are going to be able to breastfeed this baby, taking care of three toddler brothers. And so, you know, you should supplement with rice cereal. So when I was three weeks old, my mom started feeding me rice cereal. And she continued to breastfeed me until I was six months old. But early entry of solid food back then was a thing. And it causes food allergies. And so that was the beginning of my troubles. My mom told me a funny story. She said when I was a newborn, she went to take a shower, left me laying in the bassinet. And when she came out of the shower, there were my three brothers. And she saw me flying through the air, literally flying into the bassinet. Whichever brother was holding me saw mom was coming. And so they threw me back into my bassinet. And this is a, a funny story from my childhood that this was the beginning of my relationship with my brothers. I have four brothers. I also have a younger brother and three younger sisters. And growing up as a middle child in this big Mormon family in Detroit was um, quite an experience for this, for this person. I, you know, the stories I could tell, uh, as I have shared in other spaces and with Bill, my parents were compromised. They had been um, seduced into joining a cult of demons in the Detroit area who um, assumed ownership over their lives and over their children, which is what these demons do. This is a satanic cabal of people who function as a church of Satan in America, and they use religion for cover. And they go out looking for young couples who have small children and beautiful wives and healthy babies, and they induct them into their cult. Usually they do this by making these couples kill one of their own children. I believe that happened to my older sibling who was my mom was pregnant with during the time when they were uh, invited. It, it always starts with the, the family being invited to a party. So this happened to my parents. They were invited to a party. And at that party, I believe things happened that compromised them. I don't know what it was. And then you have this young, beautiful wife pregnant with her fourth baby, and they are told that to maintain their status in this group of very sophisticated, connected people, they have to kill one of their own children. And so I believe this is what happened to my older sibling. And then I was the next child born in my mother's tortured womb. These mothers who have this experience of having to kill one of their own children, they, you know... I don't think they ever really recover emotionally, spiritually. And the children who come through that womb after that sort of a crime has happened, um, you know, we have a mark on our heads because we feel our mother's pain and we know that something significant has happened and, you know, helpless to know how to, how to deal with that other than to muster forward. So I believe my parents were targeted because my mother was musical and she was beautiful and young and healthy and they target those who they can use. And so people in the music industry are becoming more open about the level of rape and coercion and molestation that happens to people in their industry, particularly women. Alanis Morissette has been really outspoken over the last few years about what's happened to her and the other women in the music industry, she claims that there is more of that type of coercive power over singers than there is even over the Hollywood actors. 
And I believe that's true. And so these stories are starting to shake out about what happened to the child actors when they were little, the singers. And I believe I was groomed in this circle, in my family circle, in the greater community at large, to perhaps be one of their diva singers coming up in musical theater. And they like to have their own placed in shows, whether it's musical theater, opera, uh, the singing world, like the pop world, or what have you. They like to have their own, and they like to have us absolutely under their control. And how they control us is by torturing us when we're children, torturing us in a variety of ways. Their favorite way is sexual rape, molestation. Um, but there's all kinds of other tactics that they use to um, mess with the children under their thumb. One of the ways is, again, they assume ownership over the children of the couples in their circles. And they will just say things like, we need Jenny for an hour or two on this day at this time. And someone will come to the home and pick up the child and take them to another location where they are um, absolutely tortured, raped, and then sent back home. And what they watch for is, can we do all these things to the child under the age of eight and them not remember. And if the child is able to get up the next day and go to school and doesn't seem to have any outward appearance of something evil having happened to them, those are the children they like to have as their designated divas. They want those of us who are able to dissociate they want those of us who are suffering from repressed memories in their control. So I believe that there have been thousands upon thousands of us who had this sort of training, torture, and again, to be used down the road for their purposes, whether the person was groomed to be involved in music or politics or business or whatever, the goal was to have that child grow up and be used by them as a politician, as a business leader, whatever. And that this system is incredibly organized, top-down, and absolutely tied to the elites at the World Economic Forum, their parents and grandparents, and the others who have assumed ownership over the planet. Now, I read Elon Musk's story about his growing up with his father in South Africa. His dad, he claims, is one of the most evil people you will ever meet. As a teenager, he chose to live with his dad instead of his mom. And so for a couple of years, it was just him and his dad. And he claims that his, he's, he's witnessed his father doing the most heinous acts possible. So I personally believe Elon was raised in one of these same families was groomed to play certain roles in society. And at some point, he broke free. And he's now acting under his own recognizance. It remains to be seen if that's true or not. I'm open to the idea that Elon's absolutely controlled. Some people claim that. And that he's just doing the bidding of his handlers. Uh, but I can tell you that his behavior the last few months, it's pretty clear to me that he's he's broken free. But like I said, we'll see. So I believe I have broken free. And how I did that was by remembering what happened to me 
and my childhood, reconciling the trauma and abuse, which included me being impregnated twice. These satanic people are never afraid of the girls getting pregnant because of their orgies. And the reason why they never worry about that is because once it is determined that the girl, the young sixth grader or seventh grader is expecting a baby, they use that baby in their rituals. They sacrifice that baby and torture it and kill it and eat it. That's what they do. And that's what happened to two of my children, which were conceived under these circumstances. So I had a lot of trauma from all of this gurgling around in my heart and in my head all the time I was growing up. I had no conscious memory of any of this stuff until I was well into my 30s. And during my childhood, my mother took me to get all of my vaccines as a child. And when I had my two-year-old shots, and I remember going down to the clinic as a child and having the little sugar cube with the polio and the shots, I remember crying when I got my shots. And my mom said at the time, I had the worst reaction of any of her eight children to my childhood shots. And after those shots, I developed head to toe eczema all over my body. I would break out in a rash so bad that I couldn't go to school. It, I looked like a plucked chicken. I was just sick with eczema. And then I developed asthma and then come to find out I have these deadly food allergies. Now, whether the anaphylactic shock that I go into when I take a food I'm allergic to comes because my mom fed me that rice cereal when I was a newborn or because I developed the anaphylaxis after getting the shots, I don't know which it was, what percentage it was. I just know I have anaphylactic allergies that have sent me to the hospital over and over throughout my life in shock. I have an EpiPen that I have to carry with me everywhere, Benadryl, just in case I'm exposed to an allergen that puts me into the cytokine storm that has almost taken my life numerous times. So when the COVID shot came out and we started hearing reports that one of the main side effects that was being reported was in fact anaphylaxis, it did not make any sense to me to get the COVID shot knowing that that was a possibility because I had just spent the previous 52 years doing everything within my power to prevent and or deal with cytokine storms whenever I would get exposed to an allergen. And how crazy I go to my own family doctor and say, I need a vaccine exemption because I have anaphylactic shock and I don't want to get the, get the shot. And he said, oh, I think you should get it. And I'm like, this is nuts. There are people all over the world dying because of the cytokine storms who don't even have my health history. And you want me to get this shot that could kill me? And it is in fact killing women and men who have my exact health history. So I said no to that COVID shot. Actually, I've said no to all vaccines ever since I was probably 15. I got a tetanus shot after I was hit by a car walking home from school. That is the last vaccine I've ever had. I allowed my oldest daughter to get two rounds of the shots before I started getting educated about it. And since that time, none of my five children were vaccinated. They're all in their 20s and 30s now, unless if they sought it out. And, and I have had some children who've gotten the COVID vaccine for themselves, their spouses, 
And that's on them. They're adults. They can do it. It's not my call. But my husband and I have chosen not to get the COVID vaccine. And my daughter chose not, my oldest daughter chose not to get the vaccine. So from the time I became ill as a two-year-old to today, I've struggled with these autoimmune diseases, the anaphylactic allergies, the asthma, and the skin problems. And I claim that I've had the most profound healing when I use my nutrition and my alternative healing. For about the first 20 years of my life, I used antibiotics for the many lung infections that I struggled with. I used all kinds of drugs for allergies. I definitely used the inhalers for asthma. And I just lived a typical pharmaceutical life with, you know, my osteopath who tended to be a little bit more natural, helping me along the way with certain dietary recommendations and an openness to me using vitamin C and other nutrients to try and help. And they did help. And then my grandma, when I was seven, I was so sick with eczema. I had to wear gloves to school to protect my hands because I just had open chafing and wounds on my hands. And my grandmother had just been told she had six months to live. So this is my maternal grandmother, Leola Drake. She was a singer. And grandma had been in a wheelchair with rheumatoid arthritis and had been told, you know, you have six months to live. My mother was also pregnant at that time with my little sister. I was seven. And my mother um, was having a very hard time with her pregnancy. She was struggling with varicose veins. She was basically bedridden. And she just, you know, was weak. And my grandma, being told you're going to die, went to the local little health food store in Berkeley, Michigan, and found a book, There is a Cure for Arthritis. She bought the book, read it, and all of a sudden, she's buying a juicer, and she starts juicing all the vegetables, and she's eating vitamin C like it's nobody's business, and she got into Shackley, which the Shackley... Uh, products I still use today. Their Vitalia is one of the best multivitamins. Their vitamin C. And I'd go over to grandma's house. She'd thrown away the wheelchair. And she's whipping up protein shakes and popping vitamin C into my mouth. And I had my first glass of carrot juice when I was a little seven-year-old. And it was, what happened to grandma? Well, she got the sugar out of her house. She started feeding herself with good nutrition. And then my mother decided after the birth of my seventh or seventh baby to also just absolutely transform her diet. She got into doing dance aerobics, which was all the rage, bought a grain mill and started grinding all of our grains fresh, cooking from scratch. We went from eating white bread, white pasta, typical macaroni and cheese, American diet for kids, lots of sugar to all of a sudden, and the kids, we all hated this, but uh, when I was seven, my mom changed our diet. No sugar in the house, no white flour. She was cooking everything from scratch. Always had a pot of beans and rice on the stove, whipping up whole wheat bread. And we started taking vitamins. And we hadn't really taken anything except like Flintstone vitamins up to that point. So what do you know? Eating this new diet, 
my eczema healed. I got better. And from the age of seven until I was about 14, um, my mom was incredibly disciplined with our eating at home and bent over backwards to make sure it was fresh, organic, and good. Gardening, going down to the farmer's market in Eastern, they called it Eastern Market in Michigan, buying food directly from the farmers, honey, locally crafted honey and pure olive oil. And then she would do things like drive down to Mexican Village to buy her tortillas, authentically made fresh ground corn. And uh, she'd buy stacks of them and put them in the freezer. And so we ate a lot of Mexican food. And we, we never really ate much meat because my parents always kind of struggled financially and was such a big family. We'd, we just didn't have the money to buy meat for all of my brothers, you know, so it was just whole wheat bread and little bits of meat here and there, but mostly healthy vegetarian fare. And so as a seven-year-old, I watched the two most influential women in my life, my mom and my grandma, own their health take responsibility for their personal daily diet, which I would suggest is one of the most challenging and difficult things an individual can take on. Changing family pattern eating and what does it mean to celebrate on a holiday or are we going to celebrate Halloween? All of a sudden we weren't allowed to go trick-or-treating. You know, these things are huge decisions for any individual or family. And here were my two mom, grandma, making the hard decisions and actually doing it. Um, and my grandma lived for five more years, even though she was told she was going to die. She had an aneurysm in her arm, which she believes stemmed from 25 years of cortisone that she took for the arthritis, which makes your arteries weak. And so she died when I was 12. But my mother has continued on with this whole foods diet. And so uh, it's the legacy that, that they've handed to me as a homemaker and as a mother myself. And I'm right now watching my five children carry on with this tradition of whole foods eating. And it's joyful to watch them also owning their diet and doing the difficult daily work in their own kitchens um, to, to craft this whole food. And so it's been joyful to watch that side of our family legacy play out with this next generation. So that's my story of ill health, having great success with physical efforts. And then along the way, I have had multiple breakdowns, emotional breakdowns. And when I had my first big event when I was 15, and this was a suicidal depression, I was like, what is going on? You know, all of a sudden I was overcome with suicidal thoughts. And it didn't make any sense because I had this happy life and I'm active at my church and I'm having success at school with music and sports and I have good friends. Why am I suicidal? That didn't make any sense to me. I didn't really talk about it too much. I did write a suicide note that some of my friends found and talked about. They didn't talk to me about it. They told me later. But I was suicidal off and on for a year when I was 15. And this is very common in people who have my history of being tortured and traumatized under the age of eight. We often struggle at the age of 15. But then I recovered, and when I was 21, after the birth of my first baby, I had a full-blown postpartum psychosis. A psychosis is a break with the reality. 
It's like you're in a dream state while you're awake. And so I had this experience. I was hospitalized in the same hospital where I was born and where I had given birth to my daughter, Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak, Michigan. And in trying to commit me to the hospital or get some help, my husband, my parents um, were trying to get me to sign the intake permission. You know, I'm signing myself in and I refused to do it. I would not sign myself in to their psych ward. So on a medical certificate, I was sent to the local state mental hospital in Pontiac, Michigan, called Clinton Valley Center. This hospital is no longer there, but it is one of those old timey mental institutions where the mentally ill and prisoners who had been deemed too mentally ill to go to prison were housed for decades in the Detroit area. Was it? in Pontiac at this Clinton Valley Center. So I ended up in that institution the Thursday before Easter, 1989, completely psychotic and in great need of help. And instead of help, what I got was the first night in there, I was raped, gang raped by four of the orderlies of that hospital. They, The doctor handed me off to these orderlies. They were supposed to take me down to the seclusion room. My family had been sent home and instead of putting me in seclusion, they veered off into another room and they gang raped me. And then they took me to the seclusion room, threw me, one on each of my limbs, two hands, two feet, and they threw me into the seclusion room. I remember landing with a thud on that mat. They put a suicide blanket over me, which is a blanket that you cannot bend. Um, and I was naked and under that blanket and... I just remember thinking that I must have died and gone to hell and was being punished for my sins because of what had just happened to me. That's, that's the state of mind I was in. They kept me in that seclusion room for three days. And during that time, I spent a lot of time praying, pleading, pleading with the Lord that if I wasn't dead to let me die, please let me die. Please, please, please let me die. This is a very common response to being gang raped. Ironically, I had no memory of the rape for 12 years. There was a blackout where I remember being with the doctor and I remember being thrown into the seclusion room, but I do not remember that gang rape. It took me a long time to remember it and then piece it back together. So I'm in this seclusion room alone. And after three days, they sent me up to a medical ward because I was not eating. And they put in the catheter and the, kept threatening me if I wouldn't eat. They were going to put a tube in my stomach. And during that time, my dad and my husband were able to come visit me and they gave me a priesthood blessing. And during that blessing, this is something we do in my faith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. During the blessing, they promised me that I would have a full recovery and that I would be guided by the Lord to know what to do. So that, that heartened me up and helped me feel like I wasn't going to die or I wasn't dead. And I started to kind of work my way out of the psychosis. And I immediately demanded that they bring my daughter back to me because I wanted to breastfeed her. I was like, where's my baby? It had been like four days at that point. They said, no, we gave you Haldol. You cannot breastfeed when you're on these medications. And so that began a 28-day fight not to be medicated. I did not want to take their drugs. And I kept demanding to let, let 
let me have my baby. I want to breastfeed my baby. They would not give me my baby. So I ended up in front of a judge on day 28 of my uh, time in the hospital. They did send me to a private hospital because we had insurance. But then they sent me back to the state hospital when I refused to be medicated there. I was there for six more days. And then I went before the judge. And I really thought naively that if I could argue my case, I refused legal help, but if I could argue my case, the judge would hear me and I would be able to go home and resume care of my baby. The judge sentenced me with 90 days forced medications. And in that moment, an activist was born because I wanted to figure out where this judge got his power, how he had the, the authority over my life to force, compel me to eat psychiatric meds for a year. I became very, very interested in understanding that power dynamic in free America. I bowed down to the long letter of the law and I took their dope for 14 months. This included a cocktail of lithium, stelazine, which is a drug in the Thorazine family, incredibly powerful sedative, Prozac and the aforementioned Haldol. During that year of being medicated, I was also given a thyroid medication, thyroxine for my heart palpitations and my thyroid and that only made me worse. And six months after being gang raped at the mental hospital, I broke out in oral herpes simplex two, a sexually transmitted disease, which I did not get from my Mormon husband because we had never engaged in the type of sex that causes that. It's my one and only bit of evidence that I was raped, but I ended up in an ER with this infection all over my lower half of my face, down my throat. And I was put on yet another drug, Zovirex, to help deal with the herpes. So during this year of medications, I was also on antibiotics once or twice. I got the full Monty of the pharmaceutical experience. And at the end of the year, I was 50 pounds fatter. I was sicker. I was consumed with depression, suicidality. I'd had to be hospitalized again for suicidal depression later that year. And while I was there, they took me off the Stelazine. The doctor came and he's like, why are you on so much Stelazine? I was like, I don't know. And he put me on a double dose of Prozac, sent me home, cured. And it was about this time that I started looking for another psychiatrist. I'd interfaced over the hospitalizations with 11 different psychiatrists, all male, and was told that I would be on lithium for the rest of my life. I was manic depressive. I probably shouldn't have any more children. And sucks to be you, Jenny Hatch, this is your life. When I found a female psychiatrist in Cincinnati, we were living in Yellow Springs, Ohio at the time. When I found Elaine, it was like she was sent to me by God as an angel to help me survive and recover from this year of hell. The first thing she did was put me on Christian Northrup's natural progesterone, which she had gone to a conference where she heard Christian speak. Christian's still incredibly famous today, but back then, this is 1990. Back then, um, she had a little clinic in Wisconsin 
where she was treating her patients who suffered with postpartum mental disorders with natural progesterone. And she offered it to be purchased through the mail. And my psychiatrist prescribed it for me. And once a month, here's this little box of natural progesterone showing up and it helped. It calmed me down. It helped with the highs and lows. It helped me feel safe. And when I felt myself kind of getting manic or a little bit over obsessive about things, I would take double or even triple the dose and it helped. So that was the first thing my psychiatrist did. The next thing was I told her I wanted to move on with my life and have another child. And would she help me wean off of all of the medications? And she said, yes. So over the next six, seven months that I worked with her, we carefully weaned off of all of those medications. Lithium first, then I was taken off the, the Stelazine by the other doctor. And then we very, very slowly took me off that double dose of Prozac. It is incredibly difficult to come off antidepressants and anti-anxiety med medications. What the patient will often experience is what's termed a rebound psychosis if they come off the medications too fast. And they will find themselves often back in the hospital with double or even triple the dose of the medications they were on before. And then they get on what's called the pharmaceutical uh, antidepressant merry-go-round, where the doctors will tell you, oh, you're just on the wrong med, let's try this. Oh, you're just at the wrong dose, let's try a higher dose. Oh, that's too much, we gotta try the lower dose. And this merry-go-round can go on for years. And it often does. In some patients, it's gone on for decades. For me, I was able to get off the Prozac. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I give God all the glory for helping to free me from that addiction to that nasty drug, which has ruined and destroyed the lives of so many people. These drugs have black box warnings on them, which means that the government finally got off its ass and did something and said, oh yeah, we noticed there's a lot of young men, especially having serious suicidal and homicidal thoughts on these drugs. I guess we better warn people, but they're still in use. They should have been banned from the market within a year of coming on the market. When Luvox was brought onto the market, they already knew that these antidepressants were causing problems in young males. So you have Eric at Columbine, Colorado school, shooting up the school on Luvox. And they're like, yeah, we probably should pull this off the market. So they pulled that one, but they left all the other antidepressants on the market. We don't need to talk about that. There's plenty of data around these topics all over the web. I was grateful to be working with a woman who understood my heart, who knew what I wanted, who listened to me and responded positively. Yes, you can do this. I believe you can do this. It meant everything to me to work with her. Then I found myself an orthomolecular doctor. These are doctors who treat psychiatric illness with nutrients. So I found this doctor in Ohio. It took like a year to get in to see him because his wait list was so long. But the timing turned out to be really good for me. By the time I got into 
see him and work with him. And he put me on massive doses of B vitamins, vitamin C, niacin, which is a B vitamin. So important for your mental health. He encouraged me to eat flax seeds. And I was already eating the whole foods, but he just, just being in his presence, I knew that I could do this. It was the confidence he had in me and the, you go girl, you can do this. This is going to work. That really helped um, push back against all that I had been told by psychiatry to say, yes, you know, you can have the life that you want. And working with him kind of gave me a jumping off point to pretty much go solo with my healthcare, I will turn to various people at, at certain junctures where I just feel like I need a little help. But mostly I have owned my diet. I have educated myself about essential oils and nutrients, and I know what my brain needs to function. And so from that day to this, this is like 1991 till now, 31 years, I have been taking care of myself and having great success with my efforts. Now, I went from being a sickly, mentally ill person to someone who, yes, I struggle with mental illness symptoms over the course of like 15 years. And after that time, when my young, my fourth child was like three years old, I decided I wanted to start sharing my story. So in 1999, I got online and started writing. I had already been participating a little bit in chat rooms, but this is where I really stepped out publicly with my story of healing. In 2005, I started my blog, the Natural Family Blog. And in the year 2000, I published my book, A Mother's Journey, which is my story of healing after postpartum psychosis. So I had all these kind of literary efforts going out there into the world and the blowback on me started immediately. I started to feel like there were people monitoring my work on the internet. And this was through a variety of means. The, the main one was that when I would post something on my blog, I would immediately get spammed with the worst pornographic materials. And these, these comments would come in like every 11 minutes. Bam, there's a comment, and there's another one, and there's another one. The most disgusting stuff on the internet was hitting my blog through the comment section, making it impossible for me to have a conversation with any of my readers, any of my listeners. And so that was where it started. And then I felt like there were people messing with various things I did on social media, and around YouTube, and around Twitter, and heck, even around this call-in show. I felt like there were people messing with me, having the ability to have a conversation about these important topics regarding our healthcare and how do we heal children and how do we heal really severe mental illnesses. There are certain people in the drug industry who do not like stories like mine. They call them dangerous anecdotes and they don't want the word getting out about people healing without their stuff. They want everybody on their drugs using their meds at their their dosing levels. Heck, they even want to use this Neuralink thing to deliver psychiatric meds to anybody who's been diagnosed. And if you've read the DSM-6, that's everybody. If you breathe on planet Earth today, you have a mental illness. 
They've got you covered and they've got the cure. And man, they plan to use it. And this biometric medical police state that has been set up, dreamed in the spaces around the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum. Boy, these boys have had their plans. They're implementing them and they don't want anybody standing in their way. So if a mom blogger from Colorado starts yelling on the internet about how she's healed all this really severe stuff and she's come up with these healthy kids who've never been vaccinated, even though she has all these serious illnesses and my husband struggles with his health too. How'd they come up with these healthy kids? That's a story they do not want being told. So I've been highly censored all over the internet and people like me have also been highly censored. Whether they healed themselves from cancer or they healed themselves from whatever using natural healing, the censorship is real. So what does that mean today with the World Economic Forum and their design for our medical police state and their their machinations in place all over the world to have their vaccine passports. And here you have this group of people, these frontline doctors and people like William and others around the internet yelling about what they're planning to do. What's their response? Oh, more censorship. We're just gonna shut you out of the conversation with your disinformation and misinformation campaigns. And they get to call call that what it is, you know. You don't get to decide what, what's disinformation or misinformation. That's their call. They're the experts. They're the elites. Well, here we are today. So I was only going to take five minutes. I think I took more. William, what say you, my friend? Well, thanks for sharing that, Jenny. I was in the live chat responding to some comments. First of all, I want to give you a lot of credit for the courage you've had, what you've been through, the trauma you've experienced, and and how you're such a survivor to come forward and tell your story. For anyone who doesn't know, anyone who's experienced that kind of childhood trauma, it's very difficult to share it and get to the point where you, you sharing it with psych doctors, you know, and trying to get some help. Uh, let alone sharing it on a platform like this. Uh, and then when we do share it with psych doctors, often the thanks to the Rockefeller Flexner report and the use of pharmaceuticals to treat emotional distress and some disorders, I'm not saying it doesn't help some people, but it's commonly used and overused. And even now there's a report, which I didn't get to putting in the live chat, Jenny, that maybe you might want to comment on, on SSRIs and how this proven after 20 years that do not affect brain chemistry, serotonin uh, levels in the way that mm, the protocols have uh, outlined and, what's, and, and the problems people have had with that. Just one example. Um, there's also the weaponizing of psychiatry, Dr. Bregan. I didn't get into that yet in the live chat, which is a real problem for anyone who's fighting this corruption, this elite power st structure we have that's established um, in all layers of society uh, and all forms of government and now based at the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum, NGOs who were not elected by us 
We're making decisions for our lives on all levels. And and I, I would like to segue to, I'm being triggered. Just hearing Jenny's stories, and I'm shaking inside, knowing what I've been through, and I don't need to go into my history. Anyone listening already knows that. I've said it in calling. And my experience trying to get well uh, on all levels, psychologically, uh, physically, uh, um, dealing with disabilities that have been well-established and diagnosed, uh, a PTSD so severe that is called complex post-traumatic stress disorder, even caused an endocrine disorder called Cushing's. Um, that's all medically uh, established through what we might call conventional medicine, Yale, as I told you, where I was a patient. And so I and Jenny have this abuse of power through our system that we're all suffering from. This, this worldwide trauma that we've been through in the last several years is very triggering. And people get emotional. And we're not perfect. And we do the best we can. And I, I, as I heard your story, Jenny, I just kept thinking how all this triggers, not you sharing your story per se. Don't, what I'm trying to say is all this abuse of power by the elite, I call them predators. Some people call them the elite class. I call them the predatory class, parasite class, triggers those of all of us and including those of us who have lived through childhood trauma. And so it's in context for Jenny. There were some comments about you sharing some of your backstory by some people who've been extremely disrespectful in this call-in, in my opinion, both a direct, uh, implicit bias against the disabled and uh, passive-aggressive comments and overtly aggressive that are extremely uncalled for and who should know better. And I put, and I'm responding to that. And that's why I have Brady blocked. And Jenny, when you're ready to take his call, I'll just get out of the speaker level and you can invite me back in when he's done. But I have a right in this call in to not deal with that type of abuse. And let me say, I have to get, get this out. For six months, I hosted shows. Jenny knows and she's, and I was on her show many times in the people's corner, nine shows over 800. Uh, view, uh, 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 participants' views, however you say it when you get the report. And then uh, in Meathead's Corner, and I lost count. There were several hundred. And I, I had been verbally abused and both aggressively, directly and passive aggressively, and I never responded with uh, swearing at people. But finally, I reached a point. I said, this has to stop. And I said, you want to talk about locker room talk, ladies and gentlemen? Some people like to do that. And, and don't, take, don't take this wrong, Jenny. I'm just saying. I grew up in locker rooms. And my position is if people want to be disrespectful to me, at some point I drew the line. I said, this is what it sounds like and feels like. And by giving it back, boy, now I'm the big bad bully. You know, if you're going to dish it out, then be willing to hear it and sit in the kitchen. If you can't bear the heat, then get the hell out. Now, I've pulled back from that those types of responses, and I still got a lot of disrespectful, passive-aggressive, overly aggressive comments from people.
And I'm doing the best I can to manage my responses, as people know, as I've gone forward, calling into rooms. And uh, so uh, getting back to the, the, the issues at hand, in the live chat, the Flexner Report, Rockefeller Medicine, we do not have a health care system in this country. We have a sick care system that treats symptoms with drugs. The DSM-5, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Mental Illnesses, has 300 medical diagnosed mental disorders and 300 drug protocols, upon which Pfizer sits on the board to develop the DSM-5. In fact, I look it up, the, the, the guy who was involved and was uh, uh, directly involved in developing the DSM-4 calls the DSM-5 bullshit. And I'll yes. find that in live chat. I remember, I remember when that came out in the news, I was like, yes, thank you. Right. And he didn't use psychological jargon. He just called it out for what it is. Bullshit. That's right. So, so William. Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I want to point people to the things that you shared in the chat. But I want to take back control of my room and just share one other side of the story and it's important taken um you know for what it's worth and if it's not worth of worth of anything to you i'm not saying it to you but i am saying it to those who it will be of worth of uh too so first i'll listen to jade because i appreciate her calling hi um I just had a question, actually. Uh, thanks for sharing your story, Jenny. I appreciated hearing it. Like, I mean, also, I'm like, you know, blown away <laughs> by, by, you know, it, it sounds too surreal to be real, but I guess that's the way reality is sometimes, you know. I'm having a hard time hearing you, Jade, and I appreciate you saying oh, that you uh -oh. found it you found it hard to believe. All I can say is wait for the next part of the story because if you found the previous stuff hard, you're not really going to believe the next part, but I'm still going to share it. So go ahead and ask your question. Can you hear me better now? Yes, thank you. Okay. Uh, my question is that I know you mentioned that you your parents were compromised at some point, possibly like at a party, possibly before you were born. Um, was that when they lived in Michigan? Did they, had they yes, already relocated? They had both grown up, my dad especially in Detroit. My mom was born in Michigan and then her dad was tied to the military so they moved around a lot. But yes, they had recently moved back to the same stake where Mitt, Mitt Romney grew up and his parents lived and uh, were in the, kind of the suburbs of Detroit. And I believe they were invited to a party and uh, it was there that they were sort of seduced into the, the cabal that's there. And it's similar to what has been reported in uh, the Pace memo. I'm sure you've heard of the Pace memo. Glenn Pace interviewed all these Mormons in Utah who claimed that they had been inducted into the similar group in Utah and had been forced to kill one of their own kids. Have you heard of this? Um, I don't, I, I might have. 
uh, I'm writing it down so I can look into it a little bit more because I, I mean, invent, I've heard I am, similar I am, stories in Utah, but I'm not sure if it was like directly the Pace memo or not, you know? This is from the 90s. He was a general authority of the church who had this steady stream of people come to him over a year's time and tell mm -hmm. their stories. And it's a very similar story to what I believe my parents experienced. And so when I read it, I was like, Whoa. you know, because you think when yeah. this happens that it's only in your location, but come to find out, no, they had little, little covens of their demons all over the place. Oh, sorry, my husband. That's okay. Um, Maybe for later and I'll tell the rest the of my story. And then we can Yeah, yeah, it. go ahead and then I can, yeah. Because okay. I just had a couple more questions kind of about that, just because I'm very interested. Well, do this, Jade. While I'm telling my story, just go click this memo, Glenn Pace memo, and just take a glance at it. Because it will really help give you the context for what my family experienced. Okay. This next part of the story might be unbelievable to most who hear it. But for those who are... Christian who have studied the gospel and understand the way that the supernatural world functions on the earth, this will not be hard to believe. So I'm just going to tell it. Um, when my blowback from the people kind of monitoring my behavior on the internet got to the level where I felt like I had been poisoned, I felt like there had been several attempts on my life when I was out and about shopping and they had sick this little demon, Tim white on me to stalk me around and mess with me in a variety of ways. Um, I remember there was a day I was praying and I was like, I don't know what to do. I feel like at any moment they could just kill me, mess with somebody in my family. You know, is there, is there anything I can do? And heavenly father guided me through the Holy spirit to read the plagues of Pharaoh and what happened to the Egyptian people when they were refusing to let the children of Israel leave. Go read the chapters on the plagues. So I did. And I listened to the song from Prince of Egypt, the plague song, which in musical form, which cause I'm into music, I, I appreciate it. Talks about all the plagues, the frogs and the lice and the death of the firstborn and all these plagues that came down on Pharaoh his household, the greater Egyptian people. It was not good what was happening to that culture. And yet they were so defiant. They did not want to lose their slaves. And um, so I was like, okay, why do you want me to read that? And, and the spirit whispered to me, it's time for you to fight back. I'm going to give you the authority to fight back. You have suffered enough at the hands of these people. And I'm going to let you fight back. And I was like, okay, what does that look like? Tell me how to do it. And he said, I had to use my faith in Jesus Christ to call down for this help. And that at various and sundry times, I would either know when to use it, or he would guide me to know what to do. And I was like, okay, this sounds good. I'm all about fighting back. I had had enough of being a victim at this point. It was about 2008. My children had suffered because of my activism. My husband was struggling with a stress disorder. Everybody in our household could
could feel the tension around my activism, my unwillingness to stop writing and speaking out on the internet. And um, father said, all right, you can fight back. So I did. So what did that look like? What did, what did that do to the people at the top? Well, <laughs> they, uh, they mounted a charge over and over against me, against my family, where they would send their goons in to try to grab me. And I was always kind of like one step ahead of them. I saw some of these guys here and there around my life. I saw them in their cars and in their RVs. They were in their Jeeps, you know, following me around. And um, I just constantly dodged them. And when they would try to attack me, I would pray that father would deal with them in his own specific way and make it impossible for them to stop me. And so over and over, these people who were coming after me were dealt with using Heavenly Father's tactics. And what that means is it was often in the form of loss of communications. Their car stopped functioning. They got caught in a snowstorm. They were just, they were stopped by some sort of a, um, a car crash on the road and they couldn't get through. I mean, there were all these different ways they were trying to come in and mess with me. And it always was frustrated. There were a few times when they were able to kind of break through and, and managed to get some poison into me and I would get sick. I believe I was hit with their directed energy weapons here and there to the point where a couple of times they had to go to the hospital because it felt like my gallbladder was going to explode. But I always healed. I always came back and was able to function. And as things escalated over these last, especially like the last five years, um, it just felt like it's an all out energy war where they were trying to destroy me and I would just push back. And quite often the pushback was, okay, father, take all of that hate that they're trying to shove on me and throw it right back on their heads and amplify it 2 trillion times. And if they die, they die, but let them know they cannot mess with me. Someone who is working diligently to help establish Zion, one heart, one mind, in this country of America and the greater world at large, they cannot mess with me. And if they try to let them know that Zion is terrible and that they should not come to war against me and my family. And this has happened over and over and over again, where they would try to do something to mess with me, mess with my message, hit up my husband, hit up my kids, do something to just derail my efforts and I'm still standing. And it really came, came strong over this last summer when the Utah case came out around this David Hamblin who has been arrested. The authorities in Utah have arrested David Hamblin and all of these documents and witness testimonies and victim statements that had been gathered up to 2014 outing a satanic ring of demons in Utah. This case had been shut down in 2014 because of a lack of evidence. And what I've heard is that often happens because the, the witnesses have been tampered with and threatened. And so they reach, retract and say, okay, not going to trial because I'm, I'm too scared. 
So that case was dismissed by the judge without prejudice. What that means is at any time in the future, anybody who has more evidence can reopen the case. And last year, there was a sheriff, Mike Smith, in Utah, who reopened this 2014 case of David Hamblin. So we have more victims. They've come forward. There are more testimonies here. And we are now going to move forward with this case. As soon as that happened, the victim statements, which had been sitting at the Provo, Utah police station, available to anybody who wanted to get them with what's called a grandma request, G-R-A-M-A, which is like a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request. Anybody who wanted to could grab that document for their own purposes, a journalist or whatever. So a journalist named Adam Herbitz in Utah obtained those documents legally and started reporting on them. And it was like a volcano erupted. He shared stories on it. All the other local news channels shared stories on it. And another indie journalist that I'm affiliated with asked me to be on his show to tell my story of what happened to me with my family. And we talked together and decided that we, as independent journalists, citizen journalists, wanted to obtain those documents for ourselves. So in June of this past summer, um, this man at Lift the Veil obtained those documents through a grammar request. He shared them with me, and I published them on my blog. And I put all of the audio and video files tied to the case on my Dropbox for anybody to see. And since that day in June, when I published all that information, uh, there have been thousands of people who have read those victim statements, who have watched the videos, listened to the audio files from the police, and David Hamblin was arrested. Now, the institution that wants none of this to come out sent their little journalist, Brandy Zadrozny, NBC News journalist, to Utah to do a deep dive on this story. She called it a satanic panic and said the old satanic panic of the early 90s is back with us. And this QAnon sheriff, Mike Smith, is trying to prosecute these innocent people who have nothing to do with child trafficking or Satanism or cannibalism or any of the things that you're hearing about these stories. There is nothing to see here. So she wrote this big article for NBC News. It went out and it was like they're saying, end of story, disinformation, misinformation. We're not going to talk about this. And there's been no other real mainstream media coverage. The only coverage has come in the form of independent journalists, on Substack and Derek Bros over at Last American Vagabond and just a few others who've chimed in. Mostly, there hasn't been any reporting on, except for that young, well, I'm not so young anymore, I'm 54, but that victim of satanic ritual abuse, Jenny Hatch, who keeps talking about it on her Substack almost every day. So... The blowback has come in the form of threats of lawsuits. I told them to go cordially, most cordially, fuck themselves because, you know, 
I'm not taking the information down. And I go forward. I keep telling my story. I keep telling these stories from these gals in Utah who were also systematically, systematically, ritually abused by their parents, by their grandparents, by their friends, and have lived to tell their story. And I am standing in solidarity with them, telling my story, saying it's a very similar story. And Heavenly Father gave me the courage and the gumption to push back spiritually using his techniques against my enemies, letting them know I will not be trifled with. I will tell my story. I will help these other women share their stories. And if there's anybody else out there who's got a story of similar childhood satanic ritual abuse that they're trying to heal from, I am here to tell you I have healed. I'm moving forward. I'm doing better. I've had a life. I'm still having a wonderful life. And Jesus Christ was all about having life and having it more abundantly. That's why he came to the earth. That's what his life and mission was about. That's what his atonement provides for is healing from all of this madness. He is the way. And if anyone out there is suffering because of what you experienced at the hands of similar people, I'm here to tell you his atonement covers all of it and you can heal. You can have a beautiful, happy life. And you can move forward and do beautiful and wonderful things with your life. That's my message. And because of that, those demons at the World Economic Forum and all their cronies and their assassins who, who use their tactics to provide the, uh, what's, what's the term? Plausible deniability that they demand that they need because they want to present themselves as these egalitarians who are concerned about humanity, who want to make everything more prosperous and positive. And they're in charge. They're, they're, they're in control of all of it, but they're doing it for the betterment of humanity. And I'm calling bullshit on all of it. So Jade, that's the side of my story that I have almost never told the ability to fight back, push back. But I share it with you in the, in the spirit it's given, which is, this is my story. This is my truth. I don't even need for you to respond to it because it is what it is. So whether you or William or Salman, I invite you to share what you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that handling case I'm more familiar with. Um, Chirin on I don't know if you know that podcast, but they also did a couple of episodes. Um, I'm having trouble hearing you again, Jade. I did hear the True oh, and On no. pod. I did hear the True and On podcast on it. I thought it was great. And, uh, but Mooney, the the man who was involved with the Hiawatha, or like the the sweat lodges and stuff, was actually my husband's neighbor growing up. Um, interesting. I was contacted by one of his children who was not willing to go public. I asked if they'd come on my podcast and they said, no, too scared, but confirmed yeah, that these know, know them. Yeah. Uh, and then Randall Lake, an artist who was also involved. And I guess like some of the I don't know, abuse rituals and stuff happen at 
his house or his artist, whatever. Uh, my friend works at a, is in an artist collective and he, and hasn't been super directly involved with him, but a lot of her close friends have had some close proximity to him. And what did they say? I mean, they're pretty disgusted. I think, I, I think it's all, do they, do they believe it? I think so. My friend, she definitely does. And uh, I think his art is pretty messed up too. Like it's creepy. But um, yeah, I guess my other question was just like, yeah. it seems like you were able to maintain like pretty good relationships with your parents is the vibe I was getting. No. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> no, my, my, uncle my uncle threatened to sue me. And um, that was back in 2001. I, my relationship with my parents was up and down for years. And uh, then finally I had to go no contact. I, I would break out in hives and have an asthma attack just thinking about my dad. And um, I, I tried here and there to build a bridge to various siblings and have a relationship. I did go to my sister's wedding, which was at the Nauvoo Temple in like 2004, I think, somewhere around there. No, it was 2002. Anyway, it was right around there, 2003 maybe. And so that was like the, fast, the last time we had the family all together. My older brother died of a drug overdose in 2001. And I believe he was tortured and traumatized just as badly as I was. Um, Anyway, I, I'm in. I, I'm kind of I have no contact with my parents or my siblings at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was just. Since you were the middle child, I was wondering if you thought like the other children were also involved in your family and how that impacted your family relationships. Because it just seems yeah. like. Nobody has confirmed to me that they have remembered anything about my entire group. You know, the, I call them the cabal. Um, I do believe Mitt Romney's family was involved. I think his parents were probably at the top of that particular pyramid in Michigan. I don't know that. It's just what I suspect. But it wasn't just the church. There were people in the community and part of other faiths who were part of their network. It wasn't just Mormons. Um, but I still think they're operating in the Detroit area. And they have one rule, and the rule is um, there's no satanic abuse. And in some circles, they'll, they'll say, well, how can there be satanic ritual abuse when there is no Satan? That's one of their big arguments, especially in psychological circles. Oh, there's, there's no such being as Satan, so how can there be anybody who worships him or does his bidding or creates a pact with him, you know? That, that's one of the big arguments in the therapy world. But um, this, this thing that's being outed right now in Utah, as I read the victim statements, I recognized things that happened to me that I never told anyone in therapy or the few, few, I mean, it's very few people I've talked to about this. I, I never told. And yet here is the exact same thing 
that I experienced in those victim statements. And it was powerful for me as a, as a victim, someone who's healing, uh, to read corroborating evidence. It was very powerful. And it made my own voice and my own stance more um, uh, solid because I feel like these women who are victims of David Hamblin and David Levitt and all of their families, these are my second witnesses to what I experienced in Detroit. Um, yeah, I'm sure that would be, um, yeah. I, I also, uh, sorry, I'm just, you know, I'm just very interested. I know that you said that, you know, like you didn't remember the abuse happening until your thirties. Do you feel like your other childhood memories and things were also impacted? I know people that have a lot of traumatic experiences in childhood then like feel like they don't have as much memory or like, you know, struggle with like the other non-traumatic events too, you know, like, do you, did you ever, well, what well, you took investigating in your thirties to, you know, like seeking out these memories. This has been one of the most miraculous sides of when you remember the dark stuff, you also remember the good stuff. And I did have serious blackout about huge patches of my childhood. And as I healed, one of the things I was guided to do by the Holy Spirit was to focus on the blessings that came into my life because I grew up in my parents' home, to count my blessings, that I was taught to love the gospel. I was taught to love music and good books and gardening and just happy family living with, with singing around the piano and reading books out loud to each other. These are my parents' heritage too. You know, it's part of the whole story. And so how interesting that where the therapy world would be just focused on all the dark and negative and evil, I'm healing, I'm feeling from the Lord, focus on the good, focus on what made your life better. And so as I've healed, that's what I've done. I've really reconciled the darkness, which again, I feel like my parents, because they were captured, uh, didn't have a whole lot to say about a lot of the abuse that happened to me at the hands of other people. And, and one of the ways they control the people in the group is they'll just kill somebody. You know, there was a young mom who was driving her kids to early morning seminary and she gets hit by a car and she's dead. And that sends a chill over the whole group, you know, oh, this mom's dead. Did they kill her? Well, maybe they let her know that they let them know that, that they killed her. You step out of line, you question too much, we'll kill you too. We'll kill your husband. We'll kill your child. We'll kill your mom. You know, this is what they do. This is how they have controlled everybody. And so I don't hate my parents. I can't have, my dad's dead, but I can't have a relationship with my mother until she is willing to say this is the truth of what happened. As soon as she does that, I would love to have a relationship with her, my three sisters, my three brothers who are still alive. I would, I would love that. I have nieces and nephews I've never even met because of this thing. And I would love to have those relations in my day-to-day -day life, but I just can't at this point. It's too, 
It's too painful. That's definitely understandable. Thank you for answering some of my questions. I got a crusty baby here. Needs to go down for nap. Um, well, I so appreciate you chiming in and talking about what I think is the most difficult topic. So thank you, Jade. Oh, and one other random question. Do you have any family that you know of in um, Spokane? Uh, I have a huge amount of family up in the Seattle area. I don't know where Spokane is. Mm. Just I knew some. It's on, um, it's on the east east side of the state. It's about four hours from Seattle. Yeah, and those, that family is all Drake. They're my mother's people. So they wouldn't be hatches. Yeah. I I suppose that would be more your husband's family. Yeah. Um, Because I just knew a lot of hatches. Okay. Thank Thank you, you Jade. For having me on. Happy napping with the baby. William, do you want to yeah, thanks for sharing all that, Jenny. Um, I, you know my history with the Catholic Church. I'm not going to dive into that, but we experience this in institutions uh, that uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. That was Lord Baron Hackton writing to Bishop Mandel Crichton, 1887. And the last part of that you don't often hear is most powerful men are not good men. That's the whole quote. So... That ties right back, segue into the World Economic Forum. Now, if you want, you know, do you want me to, I'm happy to go through some of the articles I put in the live chat, which are basically citing um, uh, reports out by the World Economic Forum, even um, case law. Um, I I don't know if you want me to dive into that or you want to read that. How do you want to go forward? I think it would be wonderful to have you dive into it. Let's wrap it up. In about 30 minutes okay. so that it's, the show's not longer than two hours. And uh, if I, if I want to comment, I'll just turn on my mic again. So go for it. Okay. So the first thing we'll see, and of course I provide the link, is the World Health Organization released a statement that they would be, uh, that they had worked with Facebook to curb vaccine, quote unquote, misinformation. Therefore, it appears that an international organization is working with a social media company to usurp free speech and accountable democracy in America. That's the lead-in. There's a lot more information there. Um, the World Economic Forum, with the link, uh, has established a report citing as part of its annual meeting, misinformation and disinformation among the top global risk in a report covering the period of the next two years and of the next decade. Uh, very important because there is also... Um, there are laws that are established with 194 countries and the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization that, uh, in fact, I didn't have a chance to put that in the live chat, but if they get the amendments, the 10 amendments they want to go through, we will be living in a medical tyranny where they make the decisions, the NGOs that we did not elect, um, Bill Gates, the Bill Gates the Melinda Foundation, one of the largest uh, supporter, the largest support, independent supporter and contributor to the World Health Organization. Um, and then they can just say it's a pandemic. 
we cite that, and these protocols go out around the world. The G20 has agreed, and then we have, next thing you know, we have global vaccine passports. We have mass mandates again. We have perhaps uh, mandatory vaccine, and so this is very important. I'm trying to run through it quick. There's the case law, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, how a 1905 case court case may determine the legality of vaccine mandates. There's the link there and the chat. Then as we go down, uh, just as a side note, eugenics was a very strong movement in England and the United States in the early 1900s. There's a landmark history of the USA eugenics uh, in the case Buck versus Bell, 1927. Um, uh, boy, shocking. Serialization of three generations of quote-unquote imbeciles, this is a court decision, which led to tens of thousands, only God knows, uh, estimates 70,000 to, who knows, 100-plus thousand people being sterilized under that uh, case law. Um, then we, This is just this unbelievable abuse of power um, that we need to address. Um, then we have the Hidden Alliance of... Uh, former World Economic Forum, young global leaders, that uh, in, and the Great Reset, which Klaus Schwab has boasted. Uh, hello, I'm very proud of my young global leaders, Putin and Macron and Trudeau and Arden, yada, yada, and how they have penetrated our world governments. And this is where a lot of these decisions and why we're seeing this uh, lockstep uh, actions uh, are, are coming from. We did not elect these people, and we need to dethrone them somehow. And um, and they they are they hold the purse strings of media. And if we go to the Smith Mon Modernization Act of two thousand twelve, whoops, got a little indigestion. This gives me indigestion of two thousand twelve, signed by Obama, where it is legal now the State Department. Uh, <sighs> to propagandize the domestic population, not only legal, into, signed into legislation, but also funding for the mainstream media to do so. So now they're being paid to tell us what our State Department decides, they decide, it, we need to hear. So anytime you see any mainstream media news, keep that in mind. All right, scrolling down to... Let me see, Jenny. A ser selective serotonin uptake inhibitor treatment does not show beneficial effects on cognitive or amyloid burden in cognitively impaired and con congenitively normal subjects. That report just came out within the last several months. I don't remember the exact date, and there's a link. Moving down as quickly as I can, the guidebook, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, Influential Document, by setting forth the criteria used to diagnose disorders. There's a huge conflict here with the DSM-5 because it changed the definition of how they define mental disorders. And so that article is there, and then the link to that. Then moving down, uh, we have uh, the abstract, well, part of the abstract from Colloids in Health. This is Albert Cyril, 1920 book that is still referred to today as colloids and colloidal systems are essential to life. They're extremely useful, even indispensable. So I'm not going to get into that anymore. The abstract, the article is there. Um, 
when it comes to your health and uh, the health of this planet. Then um, we have the Flexner Report. This was Rockefeller Medicine debunking natural uh, uh, a report paid for by Rockefeller, the Flexner Report. I believe it was nine. I don't remember if it was 1910 or 13. Um, and that was used to defund naturopathic colleges around the United States, which was the foundation of medicine. That's all there was. There, there were no pharmaceuticals out through the Rockefeller medicine prior to that. And uh, we go back to rainforest uh, uh, herbs and, and medicines. And, and there was a movie, Sean Connery, I forget the name of it, Medicine Man, I think, could tell you a little bit about that, put it into context. Um, flowing down, let's see, what else, Jenny? I'm trying to roll through this. Um, yada, 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 anything else I haven't mentioned? Um, I think I that's pretty much what I've entered in since you've been talking. So let, let me stop there and uh, see what you ha want to say about that, and uh, we'll go on. Well, it's such a powerful thing take on the task, and I didn't even ask you to do this, of confronting the comments and then sharing good information with anybody who's here who wants, in a, in a spirit of goodwill, to, to do their own research. And I'm not here to try to convince anybody that what I'm saying is true. You know, I really have no agenda around that. I am here for the victims who have lived through the childhood experience of satanic ritual abuse, who perhaps have been living under the fog of amnesia and are just starting to wake up because it's more in, in the culture and people are talking about it and you're seeing more in the news. You know, perhaps you're feeling a little bit suicidal and you don't really understand why or you're agitated or you're having flashes of memory. William and I were both tortured by the adults in our lives when we were children who were seeking to subvert the will of the Lord and under the banner of religion um, messed with us in significant ways. And I believe Heavenly Father brought us together here on Colin so that we could be a witness for each other of what we suffered when we were children and how we have healed and how we are mustering forth using these mighty tools of Colin and the internet and technology to share our message and to stand up to those who want to have complete top-down control of our whole society, the whole world. And we're, we're just here to tell you, we're not going to let that happen. You know, this is not how the story ends. In fact, John the Revelator wrote the book of Revelations to let us know how it was going to end. And it's going to end with Babylon collapsing. The Bible says it'll happen in one day. It'll happen in one hour. It just comes down. Great shall be the fall thereof. I will personally be dancing and singing when that happens. If you want to get a visual of what that might look like, I would point you to Lord of the Rings, Return of the King movie. When the ring is destroyed and Sauron comes down, it was a mighty fall. Tolkien said that he patterned the fall of Babylon and used that imagery for his book. And then Peter Jackson put it in the movie. So if you need some visuals around what it may look like and how we'll all be set free. I love the story. I love, I love the final chapter of the story, which really was not explored too much in the movie. 
but it said that the kings and queens of that day had the gift of healing and that they would sing and they used music, that the kings would sing people to health. And when I think about my own healing journey at various junctures of my life with my husband, when there was great need for prompting from the Holy Spirit, from spiritual help, we both turned to music to help carry us over the hump of whatever was in front of us. There was a day mid like 2016, somewhere around there when I was reconciling some of the worst of the abuse. No, it was earlier. It was like 2013 or 14. And I remember sitting up in my room and it felt like my brain was wanting to escape into unreality, which you'll hear stories about people who are mentally ill who think they're George Washington or some famous person or, you know, the wife or spouse of a famous person. And this is the brain's attempt to take someone who's been traumatized and put them in a safe space where they can live out their day and, and know that they're safe from any sort of um, trauma or torture or whatever. And I felt my brain wanting to go to that place to tip over the scales of the cliffs of insanity and just fall into this altered whatever. I felt it happening. All of a sudden, my husband came busting into our bedroom with his guitar. He looked me right in the eye and he started singing to me. I don't even remember what he sang, but he just sang a couple of songs. And then he said, don't leave me, Jen, don't leave me. And that was it. That was all it took to pull me back and say, no, I'm not going to abandon you who've, who've stood by me through all of this, you know, all the ups and downs of my breakdown. And he, he wanted, he told me later, he wanted to leave. He wanted to grab our baby and go and remove himself from this situation. But there was something that restrained him and he couldn't leave and he stayed and he stuck by me. And I'll never, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget what this man did and making the conscious choice to say, I am not going to abandon my wife during her darkest day, the most need. I am not going to leave her. I will be eternally grateful to my husband for that. And him singing to me that fateful day when I felt so besieged by evil, uh, it saved the day. I didn't need a drug. I didn't need an hour on the therapist's couch for 350 bucks. I just needed my sweetheart to come use his musical gift to draw me back into reality and help me to face another day. And there he was and he did it. And that's what filled in the gap. So I cannot recommend music highly enough. The Holy Spirit abides in the hymns of Jesus Christ. It abides in the Masterworks, Messiah by Handel, Brahms Requiem, a German Requiem by Johannes Brahms. There is a healing power in these Masterworks that if you will listen to them, if you will sing along with them, you will feel better. You will feel the power of Jesus Christ's atonement wash over you. And for those of you who are interested, I would invite you to come unto Christ and be perfected in him and learn of his ways. You can do that by joining a Christian faith. You could even do that by joining my faith. Seek out the missionaries 
of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Hear their message. Read the Book of Mormon. I would invite you to be baptized and then receive the power of the Holy Ghost by those who have the authority to administer it unto you. That's where I found my healing. That's where I found my joy. And I will be eternally grateful to Heavenly Father for putting me in a family where, yes, horrifying things happened in my parents' home. But that is not the whole story. There were beautiful moments, sacred moments with my parents, with my siblings that I will cherish forever. And that's also a part of this big story. If we're going to move forward into a millennial rest that is defined by peace and contentment and happy families, we have to first confront the truth, recognize the impact it's had on our lives, allow the atonement to heal it, cover it, purge it, and then move forward in light. That is my testimony and my witness. So, William, do you have anything else you want to add? No, I was just seeking out the uh, Dr. Bregan Children Health Defense Fund weaponizing of psychiatry that the good doctors are dealing with now who've used uh, early protocols that are repurposed drugs and um, how they're being retaliated against. I, I didn't get a chance to, I was like, oh, I found it. Let me put it in the chat. I'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, so um, uh, another very critical thing to consider as we go forward where this is Orwellian, uh, where uh, doctors who, uh, which is commonly done, everybody, uh, uh, for example, um, Viagra was actually originally a heart medication. All you men who use that, keep that in mind. That's a repurposed drug. And so it's commonly done for doctors to use drugs that have been cleared that are, have no significant, allegedly significant side effects of the FDA to then repurpose them, especially in the midst of a crisis uh, where um, this uh, early crisis to then treat people. And this is what these good doctors from frontline COVID critical care doctors, American frontline doctors and many others were doing. Um, and they've been retaliating against horribly. And they've actually had, there's going to be a lot more coming out over the years, I think, next two years regarding Fauci and the collusion and the emails and the big tech and the uh, uh, the big pharma uh, collaboration to get emergency youth authorization on something which there were and has been an effective protocols, um, which would eliminate that vaccine, e EUA. Um, so, uh, anyway, while going deep into that, relating back to uh, the faith of uh, Jesus Christ, let me say, um, you know, when I listen to folks on call and talk about Marx or Engel or communism or socialism, I don't react to that. I'm, I, I call myself meathead, meatball. I went to Votech High School uh, where half the school year we were learning a trade. Uh, and then I went to college and studied resource economics. Um, I do not have that political history, and I'm always open. I like lis listening to what y'all have to say. Uh, Dr. Uh, Richard Wolf, for example, who's a, a Marxist uh, economist. I like hearing it. I want information. 
when it, you know, and, and I want, uh, freedom of speech. And so we can, as adults, say, oh, that's what that meant, or that's what that man meant. And so one of the problems I've had on Colin, which I want to call out, is, you know, I, I don't come to Colin to proselytize. That's not why I'm here. There, 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 the last couple of days, I did see a fellow, a uh, reverend and his, his uh, family of, of uh, uh, congregation who was doing that. And they have every right to do that. They have every right to do it. This is open Colin. They have every right to do that. When I'm in Colin and I mention and reference the Gospels of Jesus Christ, the New Testament, boy, have I got some horrific blowback. And, uh, and, and I would ask the atheists in this Colin to, uh, just like I am totally open, uh, you know, you do what you need to do. But, um, I think if we're going to have a, a exchange of ideas and communication, Please do not retaliate against us atheists because we mentioned Jesus. I won't retaliate against you because you mentioned Marx or communism or socialism, even though those program dog whistles go off in my head as I was programmed to believe in this country, you know, socialism, you know, communism bad, capitalism good at all costs. And if we look at capitalism, we see what's going on. We see that it's no longer of, by, and for the people. We need to fight for our democracy. We need to fight for it, stand up for it. And that's what we're trying to do here, Jenny and I, and we've always been trying to do. Um, so, Jenny, I know you wanted to wrap it up. I don't. I lost track of time. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pause here um, and, and say, uh, um, what's next, girl? Do you want me to say anything else, or do you want to wrap it up? <laughs> I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up. These two-hour okay. shows are exhausting for me. I, I, you know, in sharing my story like you, I get very agitated. Yeah. So I think I will wind it down, although my, my first instinct would be to say, hey, does anybody who's listening want to participate? But like I said, I'm tired. Um, I hate the word trigger because I think it's overused, but – it's true. Talking about these things triggers me in every possible way. And so, you know, I, I still feel okay. I, I'm grateful that you participated, William. I'm so grateful for Jade living right there in Utah, um, crossing paths with some of the other victims. Um, she was raised Mormon, although I don't think she's pr practicing the faith right now. I so appreciated her curiosity and her willingness to listen to my story. Because one of the things I've experienced since I've started speaking out about ritual abuse, and I, I started reconciling the ritual stuff in 2011. So it's only been about 10 years. First, I healed the, the family pattern sexual abuse. That's all that my brain would allow me to deal with for years, 2001 to 2011. But when the ritual memories started to come up, and I remembered my initiation into the cult when I was seven, and I started remembering all this stuff. Um, as I spoke about it, I was just shocked at how people did not want to hear about this. It was like, this is the one topic you cannot talk about to anyone. And so because of that, I really, you know, I really haven't talked about it that much. And um, I feel like it's the topic that we need to talk about because... <laughs> If the World Economic Forum is nothing else, it is, in fact, satanic. So I look forward to that being outed in the coming months and years. 
more fully. And I hope that any work that I've done up to this point on the internet or on my own personal spaces on my blog, which is healthyfamilies.life, if you'd like to go read the documents from the Hamblin case, they're right at the top of my blog in a file in a post that's titled No More Secrets. Or if you'd like to follow me on Substack, which is jennyhatch.substack.com, it's the Healthy World Substack, um, I do a daily video summation of the, the day's news, which covers some of this stuff. And I'm getting ready to start a new podcast here on Colin with a woman from Utah who reached out to me because of my work. And this new podcast, which we're not sure when we're going to start it, we're laying the foundation for it right now. This new podcast is dedicated to the victims, those who are trying to heal. And we're really going to zero in on things that people can do as they're healing, remembering, and reconciling what happened to them. Because we believe there are many, many victims in our culture and at the, in the world at large who don't really understand the big picture that I, for whatever reason, I'm here today. I've got the big picture. I understand what they did to me. I understand the horrifying impact it had. And I've been working diligently to out them and, you know, take them down. But I look forward to many, many people finding that podcast. I believe they'll be guided to it. And then if we can do something to help them heal, that's the goal. We really don't have any other goal beyond just, you know, wanting wanting to help. So, William, I'll give you last word. Thank you again, my friend, my brother in Christ. This is Bill Bonatotti, football player, fellow traveler on this world's path, who I believe I was brought together with here on Colin to help do this very show and all the other work that we've created together over these past few months. Bill, you give us the, the sayonara for this show. Well, um, appreciate having the chance to join you on this, Jenny. Show some solidarity in uh, our fight against the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the CDC, along with many, many, many good people out in the world. Uh, freedom of speech, um, fighting back against draconian uh, laws that are trying to be passed uh, by, from the World Economic Forum on down to local, state, and countries uh, to limit that free speech by doctors um, and other many others. And um, obviously, uh, this is a very unusual time to be alive, but it, it, it's also important that we, we uh, garner our, our, our energies and forces against what I will call evil. It is evil um, the way I perceive it. And I, I know I can't fight that alone. I need uh, a, a, a stick is easy to break. A bundle is much harder. So I appreciate joining you, Jenny, in this and others. And also, I, I call on the angels. Um, I believe in, um, in, in, in their presence. Our, Archangel Michael, Jesus Christ, Almighty to help defeat Satan. Um, and I, I have a much more open uh, perspective on world religions than most people. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say most than some. 
Um, I lived on a monastery of world religions, self-realization fellowship for the better part of four years. It doesn't make me an expert, but I met people from all over the world and I judge people by their hearts and their intent and there's, you know, how that is their, their, their essence of their soul is reflected through their heart. That's where the seed of God is. And, uh, and so I, great people I met who were Muslim, Hindu, Hindi, um, of all religions uh, when I was on that monastery. Um, and so uh, I, I feel all are part of a family uh, uh, of, of, of love. And so we, how, if you want to call it the jinn <laughs> or whatever, however you want to call it the evil we're fighting, the demons, I think that's where the battle is. Um, I'll finish with a gospel passage um, Ephesians six twelve through 13 the battle is not against the flesh and blood it's against the principalities and powers of the rulers of darkness of this world the spiritual wickedness in high and heavenly places wherefore put on the full armor of God so that in the midst of the battle you will stand or you may stand so at the end you will stand amen amen thanks Bill we'll talk again alright Jenny sister God bless. You too.